Awesome. All right, guys. Thanks for tapping in. Today we are going to be talking to Willis, aka Trap Lanta. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Welcome, welcome. I'm so excited. Can yeah. you guys hear me smiling in my voice? I'm smiling in real life. I can see it in your eyes. You're smizing right now. I'm smizing. Yeah. I'm really excited. I'm trying to be be cool because as soon as the headphones and the mic comes on, I like turn into a different person. Shout out to Ben. Thanks, Ben. But yeah, all right, so we're just going to hop right into it. I just want to uh, kind of talk to the people about what you do, okay. how you do it, how'd you get into it. Okay, okay. You know what I'm saying? About them cheeks clapping. Yeah. That money flying. Okay. You feel me? <clears throat> yeah, yeah, So yeah, just let us know a little bit about Traplana. Okay, yeah, I run an Instagram page called Traplana. Um, I guess the short and dirty of it is I take pictures of strippers and drug dealers in the city and I post historical facts under the pictures that tie into um, current society in some sort of way to talk about something bigger than what it actually is. Um, and then on a larger scale, um, I use a concept, a French concept in photography called the studium and a punctum, which is like um, the studium is your lens of subjectivity. It's how you live your life every day according to like your own like personal beliefs. And um, <clears throat> your punctum is French for wounding. It's how a picture resonates with you. So let's say you saw like an image and then you go home and you're laying in bed and you say, oh, I saw this beautiful image today and your significant others like, oh, speak on it. Tell me what it was like in your mind's eye as you're describing the picture, you're recreating it like in your head. Right. Wherever you started to recreate that picture is the punctum. That's where the image resonates with you the most. Mm -hmm. And because every person lives a different life, they have a different studium. And because you have a different studium, you have a different punctum. Everybody sees something different in an image even though it's the same image it's kind of like having a shared experience like you'll remember things differently than i remember things differently um because even though we're having the same experience right now and so that's what i try and do with these pictures is i'm coming from a different i'm coming from a different point of view as mo from most people that look at this type of imagery like i was born in the hood you know i joined the military i went to combat did a lot of that and then came back home and it was just like, I was expecting to come back to the hood and it was gone. You know, it's just like Atlanta just got gentrified. You know, it was like hella, hella white. And I was just like, where's my hood? Where's the corner store? Why ain't nobody shooting dice no more? You know, why are people jogging around the, the, the neighborhood and people are planting begonias and azaleas? I was like, <laughs> you know, like, you're like, oh, like, yeah, societal wise, it's good. You know, that like there's this upward mobility, but it's not for black people. Right. You know, like, so is it really good? You really just disenfranchising and, and like evicting these folks out of like sections of the city that have been historically black forever since the inception of the city, all to build houses that they'll never be able to afford. And so um, it became like a love letter, like to the city, kind of like I see like all these things that are just like the hood. Like if you there's something special about Atlanta. I mean, it. You could say that about any other place, but there's something special about Atlanta where like you meet somebody else from Atlanta and then you're like, oh, you from Atlanta? No, I live there. And you're like, oh, OK. And, you know, and they just know all the same shit that, you know, and y'all even got to speak on it, you know. And that's kind of like when I was in the military and I would meet somebody from Georgia or I would meet somebody from Metro Atlanta. 
Um, I'd be like, oh, you from Atlanta? I'm like, yeah, where you from? You know, like, oh, I live in the Swatch. Like, oh, I stay in Mary. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, all right. You know, like, I, I, we automatically know we're going to have the same brand of fun. We're going to listen to the same kind of music, that type of shit. And so um, I just wanted to capture these things, like, all the time that are always happening in the city. It's always somebody getting their shit rocked in. It's always a dice mm-hmm. game somewhere. It's always strippers dancing somewhere. But people don't realize that. But if you in the know, you can just go do ratchet shit like all day long, every day, every single day in the city, you know, and like I'm a big fan of that type of fun. So I do go do it. And people don't believe that type. The only time people see that is in music videos Mm -hmm. or they go to the trap music museum, which I am not a fan of. Really? Why? Yeah. Oh, I don't like the trap music museum. Do you feel like it kind of just dumbs down? It's a caricature. The idea of yeah. It'd be what? like if you were from Texas. Excuse me, if you were from Texas and you went to a Western theme park, you know, you'd be like, "This shit ain't Texas." You right. know, it's the same thing. Like you walk in and there's like that fake living room with the TV, right. and then like the fake mason jar of weed, and then you walk <laughs> in the other room and it's like a kitchen. It's got a whole bunch of bricks, a uh, uh, fake coke on the table. Right. I was like. I know the niggas that own actual trap houses. I ain't never seen like six bricks of coke just sitting on the table, like just all like out and about, but whatever. I remember my first trap house experience. I was shook. Because I asked the homegirl of mine, I'm like, yeah, I just need to go get some tree from somebody. And she was like, I know exactly where to go. And I go and I'm like, Hannah, um, I, ain't, I ain't used to this. Like, this is this diff- different for me. Because you walked in and. It was just like all empty with the couch. And then like you seen the kitchen, but you of course you didn't just see everything out and exposed. Right. And there's just a bunch of niggas sitting around. And I'm just like, oh, I kind of know what's going on here. He's like, well, what would you like? And, so, and I told him, I'm like, I don't, I don't think I need to be coming back here just to buy no tree, but like y'all, y'all out here doing y'all thing, thing, thing. But um, yeah, man. So how does that like, how does that, that uh, correlates. So when you put the facts under the images, are you telling a specific story that correlates with the image, or are you just kind of trying to get people to understand that, like, yeah, these are this is what you're looking at, but then read this certain aspect of history? Because like from what I see, sometimes it's like I think I'm making a correlation, but then sometimes I feel like I'm completely wrong about how I'm like processing what I'm looking at and then what I'm reading. Right, right. I think. It's a little bit of both. Sometimes I care more about the fact than I do the picture. And mm. then sometimes I care about the picture more than I do the fact. Sometimes, like, you just read something and you're like, people should know this shit. Mm. You know, like, how don't people know this shit, you know? Or, like, you see something and you're like, people should see this shit. Mm. You know, like, more people need to take notice of, of this. Um, and then sometimes it's a combination of both. You know, sometimes, like, that imagery makes that fact that much more relevant. You're just like, damn, that shit stuck with me. And mm-hmm. now, like, it it just lives on. You know, the Egyptians believe in this thing called second death, which is, like, after, like, your physical death, right? The people who still are, exist, they carry on your legacy, your memory, and once they all die and there's nobody to remember you, you die a second time, mm-hmm. you know? I feel like that's, um, what is it in the Mexican culture? What's that word? Oh, they the, celebrate the day to day. Yeah, they made the movie Coco about it. Yeah, yeah, and then when you don't necessarily like remember your ancestors or the individuals um, from your family that have transitioned, then they transition again. Yeah. So I, I think that's just like something culturally like that we should tap into. Yeah, no I feel like that from. happens like in the in the city. You know, it's just like because yeah. my grandma she 
shit, my family's been in Marietta as long as the city's existed. Like, oh, Alan, wow. yeah, Alan Cobb, the guy who Cobb County is named after, you know, like, he picked some niggas up. His daddy was like, yo, you gotta go make your own money. And he's like, here, let me get some of these niggas in the backyard and I'm gonna go to Georgia and make this shit shake. And mm-hmm. we were some of them niggas, you know? So, we literally been in Marietta as long as Cobb County has existed, you know? Yeah. My great grandma. I mean, that's exciting, I guess, in a It's sense. okay. You yeah. know, it's just like roots. It's kind of weird just to be like, like my people have always been in Marietta. You know, my great grandma, she owned like a corner store, like for black folks, like in the, like in our part of the neighborhood where we from or whatnot. But mm-hmm. now it's like a house, like a nice ass house, like a really nice ass house. And like that wealth doesn't exist for us, mm-hmm. you know? And also like, I can't physically or mentally picture that corner store, but in my grandma's eyes, right? That place is just as real as that house that exists there now. Like, when she sees that house, she sees, like, her mother's corner store. Mm-hmm. You know? Like, that memory lives on with her, but it won't live on with me. Once mm-hmm. when she's gone, like... That's you know, it. That's it, you know? And if I have kids, like, they'll probably never know that my family owned a corner store, like, right here, you know? I would you even... tell them, though? Like, yeah, would you, I like, take you... them there to be like, hey, you know, like, this is what it looks like now, and this is, like, something that happens a lot to our people but once upon a time this is something that belonged to us like yeah i think i would say it but like there's no like understanding of it you know it's like the um the allegory of the man in the cave Mm -hmm. where like um you know you have individuals who have lived in a cave their entire lives and behind them is a fire right Mm -hmm. and in front between the people and the fire is a guy and he's making shadow puppets, and mm-hmm. he's explaining the outside world to the people, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, they have imaginations; they can kind of put together like what he's saying, but they don't know what the fuck he's talking about. They can kind of like guesstimate, but mm-hmm. from what he's saying, and then like let's say the guy, one of the guys that was looking at the shadow puppets, he goes outside for the first time, boom, and he's like, "Oh shit! This is this. This mm-hmm. is this. This is this." I recognize what he was telling me. I imagined it different, but yeah, this is it. And then he goes back into the cave, right? Mm. And he tries to do the same thing. The people of the cave, they aren't going to understand exactly what he's saying. Like, my kids aren't going to understand exactly what I'm talking about if I say, like, oh, there's a corner store. The concept of a corner store is gone Mm, in most capacities in the city. So to say, like, oh, yeah, we had a corner store, what you mean? Like a CVS or like a... Unless uh, you live in the hood, yeah, right? SO or something. He's like, no, nah, not like that. But like, uh, I can't explain. Thank you. Come again. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah, I feel it. It's like you ever seen like the first drawings of a rhinoceros? Like the guys who first ever saw a rhinoceros when they came back to Europe, they're like, there's this thing, and it's got a horn, and it's got like armor on it, and it's got like four feet, and you know, and then somebody tried to draw it, and it looks like a man in armor with a horn on his armor and that's what like all the europe thought a rhinoceros looked looked like like. you know because they had no kind of inclination that's what the hood is the hood is the rhinoceros and Mm. if you stay in the hood like you get like oh yeah this is the hood people like oh yeah sure i understand you know there's etiquette and rules to this shit but like once you step outside the hood there's people who have no inkling i got a picture of a guy and he's holding the crack pipe in Mm -hmm. his hands like that for me to take a picture of Mm -hmm. i just did an art show in buckhead man i got so tired of telling people that was a crack pipe they're like what's in his hands it's a crack pipe huh i've never seen one of those before do you do cocaine man 
You know, what I'm <laughs> <laughs> it's just like one of those things. Like, damn, like ain't nobody in this this room seen a crack pipe but me. Yeah, I guess good for you, you know. But I've never seen a real crack pipe. And then, like, I had honestly a conversation recently. I'm like, it's just crazy to me that there are so many people that do cocaine but are so oblivious to the fact that it's just a different form of crack. Yeah. And, like, how they'll look down on crackheads, and I'll be looking at them like, bro, but you a druggie, though. Like, you do realize you're doing the same shit. You're just doing it in a different form. Right. You get what I'm saying? And I think that also, how you were saying, um, with the rhinoceros and how, how the first depiction of what that was for European people and associating that with the hood. Like, do you feel like, even when you're telling your stories, and you are exposing like this whole different aspect of life to individuals who have like no idea what that is. Do you feel like it's the same concept, I guess? Like, do you feel like it's the same kind of, it's kind of like I'm trying to help you guys understand that this is life, this is actively happening right now, this is a whole, this is a whole culture. Yeah. This is a whole experience. And it's like how, I probably couldn't imagine being a person having to explain that shit to white people just to keep it a being because it'd just be like, like, why the fuck should you know? But at the end of the day, it's like you should know so you understand that like these people are no different and they're not less than. This is just something that you honestly need to know is going on. So when you move into these neighborhoods or you move into these um, pockets of the city and you're turning your nose up or you're oblivious to like the real or the reality of what it is, you are actually, how can I put it? You do a disservice to those right. people. Right, that's, you know yeah, thank yeah. you. Because it's just kind of like, how can I put it without sounding like an asshole? No, I, just, I think right. you can't. Like, you have to just say it. I think that's the, the bigger problem is like, you try, and sh- when you try and sugarcoat it, you take away the power of like that movement, you know? Like, you should never sugarcoat a movement like i like it's, it's like hair you know like mm-hmm. you know to, to talk about something else and you know i was in the military just recently like in the last two years women were black women were allowed to have locks you mm-hmm. know was this whole time they either had to get perms or get like shortcuts and mm-hmm. you know just like where you know they couldn't even really do protective styles with their hair you know and so you could be like oh yeah you know this just isn't healthy for women's hair or you could be like yo this is racist yeah, it's some bullshit. It's some bullshit. Some racist bullshit. And, like, you over here, you over here singling out black women, you It's know? another way to police our bodies. Right, right. And just right. who we are so, as a people. And so I think that's the same, the same thing applies to the hood. Like, you can't sugarcoat that shit. Like, yo, this is the hood. Mm. You know, I'm always super interested in the first white family to move into a hood. Like, a hood, 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 mm. you know? Like the type of shit they have to experience. Like, mm. they've never seen drug dealers just hanging out on the block, you know, mm-hmm. like where um, I'm from is a place called the circle. And like, now we've got like white people moving into the neighborhood and they're out there like planting like flowers and doing their yard and painting <laughs> their, their blinds and shit like that. And then it's like directly across the street. It's just like a gang of niggas just like chilling, sitting, chilling you know, in the back of the truck, like <laughs> shooting dice and shit, you know? And he like comes outside and it's the funniest shit ever. Cause he come like, he comes outside and they be like, what up, bruh? He like he'll like hey how's it going you know he goes about doing like his like white people thing you know but it's just like like you stay in the hood bro like you live in the hood like how does that translate to you how do you like 
come upon that realization and how do you make peace with it as like an affluent like white person you just bought like a hundred thousand dollar house in the hood and see that's what's crazy to me because like um when i worked at the center for civil and human rights i i already used to research a lot about like the history of atlanta um but that really just like set a flame to like how much i wanted to know and um, I learned a lot about, like, the foundation of Sandy Springs. I learned a lot about how um, Phillips Arena came about and the neighborhoods that got torn down for that. And I would talk to the elders a lot. And so a part of it is um, it was an elder off of Edgewood or Auburn. She was in Auburn and the neighborhoods over there. And she would talk about how um, white flight happened and she just couldn't understand why it was such a problem for white people when black people started to move in. And then I'm like, well, from my knowledge, black people were there first. So it's like this cycle that happens where it was black people there, black people in buttermilk bottoms, um, black people on the other side of ponds. Um, and then white people come in because, of course, it was designed that way. We're not going to fix up your neighborhoods. Y'all going to stay in these shacks and these sheds. And then when it's time, you guys are going to get pushed out. We're going to come build it up. And then the 60s come around and black people want to start living better. So they move back into the neighborhoods and then it's white flight. And so now here we are and I'm looking at Old Fourth Ward and all these neighborhoods and I'm just seeing like all these white folks coming back. And it's like, how are we supposed to integrate? Because even when you're walking around the West End now and I just be sometimes I ain't going to lie, like I'd be so blown because I'm just like, damn, I just want to go kick it at Rose Park and see the little black boys playing basketball on the court and shit. The little D boys in front of the park doing their thing. And now you see white folks walking their dogs and pushing their babies around the strollers and shit and the breweries across the street. And it's just like, damn, how are we supposed to integrate and live amongst each other? Or is that even not a part of the plan? You know, I don't know. Central Station used to be, not Central, Atlantic Station used to be like that. You know, Atlantic Station used to be where, like, all the super poor black people live, like Shaq Holmes type shit. Mm. That was that, that whole, like, area where Atlantic Station was that. Hmm. You know, and then, like, they basically moved everybody out into like Carver homes, Bowen homes, like right. all of them shits. So like, that's what happened. Cause it was just like a massive concentration of black folks that mm-hmm. was like voting power for like different like areas. Mm-hmm. So then they created like all those section eight housings and kind of spread everybody out mm-hmm. um, to mitigate like that voting power that they had. And so um, I, I came across like this book at a um, thrift store. This guy, he wouldn't sell it to me. Mm-hmm. It was like at a little thrift store type joint and i was like oh this book is dope it had like maps like overlays of like where the black communities were like on top of like the map of the city mm-hmm. and i was like this shit is fire sell it to me he would not sell it to me and i was like why the fuck do you, you have this here, right you know if you're not trying to get it give it up but whatever whatever i think he was just trying to get like a hundred dollars for it or something because he saw i was like genuinely interested, interested in, in it, it. He probably understood the significance of it, too, though. Because yeah, when did. people understand, like, what it once was, like, people say, like, Atlanta's a black city, but even when you go back to slavery and you start to pull the names and you start to see, like, what was really going down during that era and then post-slavery, and then you think about the civil rights era, like, it's always been a very heavily, as I'm going to call it, a black city. And so I see now how they're trying to change the face of the city. And I was telling somebody, I'm like, it's it's a big 
it's a big city, but it's still a small town mentality. Mm -hmm. And until people start to shift their mentality and understand like what the foundation of this city really is, then I don't really see it being as promising on a larger scale to black people as it could be. Because even when you think about the hood, as soon as somebody get a bag, they want to move out the hood. And I'm like, no, you need to buy up the hood. Because before you know it, you're not going to be able to come back to your grandmother's house. You're not going to be able to come back to the block that you grew up on. You're not going to be able, like, you're not going to recognize a corner store. That shit going to be gone before you know it. Facts. Big facts. And I watched it happen. Like, even when my grandmother is back home in East Palo Alto, I'm like, damn, last time I went home, I'm like, daddy, this shit don't even look like home. It don't even feel like home. You get what I'm saying? Like, Menlo Park. Because as soon as all the techies came, Redwood City changed, Menlo Park changed, East Palo Alto changed. And I see it happening in Atlanta. And, like, even talking to my homegirl from College Park, she like, shit, they moving into College Park, too. I'm like, how does it feel? So, like, I always ask people from Atlanta, like, how does it feel? Do you feel privileged to know that you're from Atlanta? Do you feel privileged to know that you got, like, that significant aspect of culture that only you can have being born and raised here and seeing it before all this shifting started happening? 100%. You know, I, I moved to Omaha, Nebraska for a while. I lived there. I was doing, like, a government contracting job, and I, like, I was miserable as shit mm. in Omaha. Because talk about, like, there are, like, no black people. In I Omaha, see. like they live like on the north side of the city, and they like stay on the north side. But I didn't know this, so when I moved to Omaha, like I got a house on the south side, you know, not a house, but like an apartment on the south side. And I would like go to work. I was a cryptologist, a code breaker. I was working for like U.S. Centcom, not Centcom, but a Stratcom, which is like the military and like how the government has decided. Um, I'm kind of going off tangent, but like in the military, <clears throat> they break the world up into seven different regions, Southcom, Paycom, Ucom, Africom, Northcom, Stratcom, right? And there's another one I'm missing, but, and then they say like this, this command, they're going to focus about all military decisions and war making in Africa and Europe and Russia, South America, Asia, like, and so like they have a headquarters somewhere in America somewhere. So like Tampa, um, Norfolk, DC, California, some Colorado. And then they basically dictate how war is fought in that particular part of the world or whatnot. So anyways, like when you're talking about like anything with a nuclear missile, that shit is in Omaha, Nebraska at a place called mm. U S strategic command. And I so supposed to know this. Yeah, no, nobody knows this. It's like, this is just how so, like they said, so you're just telling up. us all the business. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, I was working there and I was like staying on the South side. And like what I found out was like one of the most affluent parts of Omaha, Nebraska. I'm making like $120,000 a year. I only worked there for like six months cause I hated it Boy. so much. So like I would get off of work and I would like go to the grocery store and at Omaha steaks, you know, like I'm in Omaha. So I would just like go to the grocery store and like the Omaha steaks place, they would like bring the steaks to the grocery store. Oh, wow. So I would like order like some steaks every day. You know, and I just make myself a steak. So one day, like I go to the grocery store, I'm like waiting on the butcher and the guy, he says, man, I just got to know. He said, what do you do for a living? <laughs> and I said, what do you mean? He's like, I was like, I'm, he's like, I hope I don't sound disrespectful. He's like, but I never, cause you got to wear a suit and tie at, at Stratcom. Oh, okay. You know, when you like go to work at Stratcom, you got to have a suit and tie on. He's like, I ain't never seen a black man with a suit and tie on before. He's like, you look like you do something important. And I was thinking to myself like, holy wow. shit. You know, like you know, this man has never seen a nigga in a suit. He probably go home like, "There's this nigger in a suit." He comes to the store every day and he buys himself a steak. 
every day, you know, and I'm just like, like it. I said, well, man, I'm from Atlanta, Georgia. This is how we normally dress in Atlanta. You know, like this is like one aspect of professionalism, but I work at the base as a contractor. He said, no shit. I said, no, yeah, no shit, bro. He said, all right. I said, you know, let me get five steaks. He said, okay. You know, he rang me up. And then after that, he was like, hello, cool. Every time he seen me, he knew. He's like, oh, you want your steaks? Five of them, right? One for every. I ate a steak every day of the week. And he was like, five of them, right? Like, yep, five. All right. And, you know, he rang them up and everything. And it was just like, I'm like this white dude's only interaction with That's black people. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And like, I feel like Traplanta is that. I am some people's only interaction with the hood. Like, that's it. Like, at the end of the day, like, I'm still a hood nigga. Like, I know big words. I was blessed with the opportunity to, like, see the world outside the hood. But at the end of the day, like, I feel more comfortable at a dice game eating a, a, a catfish sandwich than I do, you know, in Midtown or Buckhead eating foie gras or, or you know, caviar or something like that. I can I can do that shit, you know, and that shit's cool every now and then, you know, for the gram purposes, that type of shit. But that ain't that ain't who I am. It ain't who I strive to be. It ain't what I want for myself, you know. Do you feel a responsibility to make sure you like tell that story the right way? I guess it's no right or wrong way because it's your art, in right? My opinion, like it's no right or wrong way. But do you feel a responsibility to make sure like you do it more uh, good and more justice? Mm, I think there is a responsibility to me to be intentional about the work that I make. Mm -hmm. You know, when you make something, you ever like drawn, so everybody's done it, but you ever drawn something and you finish, you like, God damn, I put my foot in that. That shit look good. You know what I'm saying? Like, hey, look at this. Look, you don't even really care about somebody else's opinion. You just like, I did such a good job on this shit. I'm going to show you, you know? And that's how I like, that's how I approach like my photography, all of the art I make, my Instagram, like I, I make it with intentionality. Mm -hmm. Like every day I think, if somebody saw this picture, could I make $5,000 from it? Could mm -hmm. I sell it to a magazine for $2,000? Mm -hmm. You know, could I use it for some like purpose? Could it be in somebody's house? Could each image I oppose be in somebody's house as a standalone? Mm -hmm. And that's how I approach it. Like if I'm happy with it, after I hit post, boom. If I'm happy with it, I don't give a fuck what anybody else says. I don't give a fuck about what anybody else thinks. I put it out there. It's no longer mine. It's not my child anymore. Once mm -hmm. I hit send, it's it's out there. The world is going to, you know, interpret, ingest, digest that that media for what it is. And that's another reason the facts exist. Because once you put something out into the world, it's no longer yours. You can't mm -hmm. control the flow of that energy once you've put it out. The only thing you can do is, like, nurture it at the beginning and hope that it finds a good home out in, in, in the cosmos, in the universe, you know? And so that's what I try and do is make the best thing that I could possibly make with what I have and hope that people see it, respect it, and take it for what it is or what I would hope that it should be mm. and keep it moving forward. So did you, did Traplander come about once you were at SCAD or was it something that was like before SCAD and now at this point with all your tools and all the knowledge that you're gaining, you're able to nurture it in a way where it's getting the reach that it's getting. Yeah, it kind of started in like waves. Um, I've always liked photography. Um, even when I was in high school, like I had like a little Polaroid camera and I could just I would just take pictures of like my friends and shit like that. Mm. But then I joined the military and um, they sent me to go fight pirates off the coast of Africa. I did what? that shit for like five years. Yeah, I did. Not like, you fighting people that look like you. Man, <laughs> these folks that look. I politely like decline. I can't. 
they be wilding over there. They like literally like kidnap people on ships. Like you gotta think like it's a tanker ship, you know, like it's just like 50 dudes on a tanker ship sailing across the ocean to deliver oil or Hondas or whatever. In Somalia, right? Yeah. Somalia, Ethiopia, Mogadishu. So you got like 50 guys on a boat, literally as long as two or three football fields. They own, they operate this boat. It's just these 50 dudes. And they got like sometimes $11 billion worth of merchandise on the ship. The ship itself is worth like maybe like two or $3 million, you know, but then they got like 11, $50 billion worth of like stuff on the ship. And they're like, just like sailing along. And then like some dudes pull up, hop on the boat, kidnap everybody, tie them up. And they call the owners of the boat. They say, look, Okay, oh, okay, so the boat, the billion-dollar boat, or yeah. the, is with, we're the merchants. Yeah. And then the pirates come on their little, yeah. little boat boat, and then... <laughs> yeah, they hop on, like, the big boat, and they say, look... We'll, Run it up. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll kill everybody on this boat. Damn. And we'll sink this boat. Damn. If you don't give us $6 million. It's Damn. $11 billion worth of shit on the boat. The insurance policies for 50 dudes is going to be $50 million on the light side if they got million-dollar insurance policies. And all you want is $6 million. All you want is $6 million? They put that shit on a plane, and they drop it in, a, in the water, like in a floatable buoy. Boom, and the dude go out, pick it up. Yes, money. Come on, y'all. And they hop off the boat and they gone. Are you serious? So serious. That's It happened every day. Every day over there. And so there's Damn. like, people got tired of that shit. Insurance rates for the ships is going up. Nobody want to go be on a boat because, nah, niggas getting kidnapped and murdered. Nah, I'm not trying to do that. So what they do, they say, look, y'all, this is a, a freedom of navigation thing. You know what I'm saying? Like, if you want cheap stuff, oil, you want cheap oil, whatever, Y'all got to police these lanes. So then the military started sending motherfuckers out there to like basically like sail up and down the coast of Africa waiting for SOS distress calls for people being attacked by pirates. So I did that for five years. So that's crazy because I just feel like how do you, how does the U.S. even get involved with something that's so close to Africa? Because it's like, it's their material, you know, oh, like it's like okay. stuff getting shipped from like D.C. and Norfolk and Tampa and Miami. And then it's got to go to like. Asia or that's fair. you know what I'm saying it's gotta sense. go through the Suez Canal, through the Straits of Maramara, um, the Straits of Malacca, all that stuff over there. It's gotta go through all those little choke points where Did it could get attacked by pirates. Yeah. Really? Yeah, arrest the pirates, shoot at the Are pirates, you pirates shoot at us. I did that shit for five years. I'm mad I'm so excited. Right, this is yeah, like a movie. Shit, yeah, that shit is <laughs> like, like a zoo. It really is a zoo. Really? Yeah, so you know that was regular like, ass dudes. Yeah, this like that was like my biggest issue because you know I met you at the mall. Yeah. And I was like, they hired me to fight people. Like I used to when I came home off of active duty and I would be on vacation for my two weeks, like to come visit family and shit like that. Mm-hmm. I would shop at that store. I would buy out the store like three four hundred dollars worth of clothes every time and so when i was like i'm done with this shit i'm going home you know mm-hmm. <clears throat> and i was like yo i need a job while well, i go to school and oh boy was like yeah you can work here if you want to i said yeah no shit he said yeah and i noticed like when it was time to like put censor clothes and shit like that he would never ask me to censor clothes so when it was time to like fold like the shit and put it out he would never ask me to do that shit but like if somebody came in acting stupid or wanted to argue or some shit like that, he would be like, "Can you handle that?" Yeah, and I I would handle it, you know, because no amount of violence that I feel like you can administer at that mall is tantamount or equal to the amount of violence that I saw when I was deployed. Hmm. It's people strapped, got bombs strapped to their hmm. chest. 
You know what I'm saying? They're yeah. like, Allah Akbar, if I kill you with me, I'll get 40 virgins that I can have sex with for eternity. So I don't give a damn about you. I don't give a damn about you. So now, like, I'm at the mall, and the nigga talk, I'll hit you in your mouth. Nigga. <laughs> I just came from a place where they trying to blow me up with them. You know what I'm saying? So, like, your threat of violence, it isn't real to me. It doesn't really register. You know, it, it just doesn't. So I don't have no problems with fighting people. Now, over the course of, like, since I've been out, like, switched over to the reserves or whatnot, it's kind of mellowed out. Like, I know, like, a nigga will shoot you, a nigga will stab you. Yeah. But it's still, like, it doesn't seem real because of the level of violence that I lived, like, dead ass lived, like, every day. You know, so um, I say we talk about all that. I got off the subject. They didn't allow us to have cameras. Mm. Like, when we went out to see, we would have to give them our phones. Oh, wow. We have to give them our cameras because of the shit that was going on, like, on the mission. Right, because I was going to say, imagine seeing that. Like, imagine having, like, a front row view right. of these pirates, these ships, and what's really going down. Or somebody that's like, I don't even understand how journalists get that close to shit like that. Right, right, right. You know right. what I'm saying? Like, and so I was just, I remember... I had a friend. We went out to sea. We was out to sea for two weeks, and we went on this ship. Um, it was a pirate ship, and um, I had a friend. He would always steal something because you can, <laughs> you can hop on any ship when like you a a country, and you you a, you and you a military organization. You can hop on any ship that you want to if they don't have like what they call a black box, like a navigation box that says like and it broadcasts it continuously broadcasts to say where you from, where you headed, who owned the ship. Like, all this shit, like, it just broadcasts this information, and you mm. can, like, click it, and, like, on a, it's kind of weird, it's like a computer screen, and you can, like, use your mouse and click that little icon, and it'll tell you all this shit about the ship. When you're a certain size, you have to have it legally. It's like a driver's license. Mm. You have to have it. Every country has agreed upon this shit. If you don't have it, that means you can get boarded, and you can't say no. So we will. So board. anybody can just hop on your ship any, at this point. Any military organization from a country can hop on your boat, like they can. And so these pirates were on those kind of boats. Yeah, they own these kind of boats, right? So we and sometimes they have shit, sometimes they don't have shit. Sometimes they have shit and they run. They just you know like throw the gas all the way forward, all full <laughs> throttle, and they try and run. Sometimes they be like, "Bro, you got it. We was smuggling, you know." We want to find people. Yeah, you find really? women. You find coke, opium. Yeah, we want on the ship. It's it's it just a weird experience. Like one time we went on the ship and it was like a hammerhead shark, like filleted out on the dinner table. Like they was getting ready to fry that motherfucker up. One time we went on the ship and you walk down into the bow, which is like the belly of the ship, right? That like little dip and like all that shit is just like empty space normally. Mm-hmm. It's used for buoyant buoyancy on the ship. It displaces the water, and that's how metal ships float. It's actually displacing more water than it's, like, affecting. It's not, like, air inside the ship. It's just, like, how fat the ship is. Mm. Like, it's wide enough to facilitate that buoyancy. So we went on the ship one time, and um, we noticed, like, a hole. So my homeboy go over there, and he shine a light in, and he said, holy shit. I said, what's up? He start, like, peeling the inside, like, the pieces of wood the planks of wood off the inside of the ship mm. and i'm like that's heroin oh wow he's like yeah and i'm like i'm looking at like this like little like two foot by two foot like square that we hit on peeled off and i'm like it's just like heroin bricks stacked like that and i'm starting to look around I'm like this whole ship is made out of heroin mm. wow this whole ship is a floating block of heroin bro 
And I'm, he's like, no shit. I said, no shit. So, like, we call our boss, you know, like on the walkie-talkie. He's like, yeah, sir, you got to come down here and see this shit. Mm-hmm. You know, he come down. He's like, what's up? And we just start, like, peeling, like, cut with a crowbar, like, popping the, like, planks off. I'm like, this whole ship is heroin. Like, it's a floating block of heroin. Like, they hollowed out heroin. So that once you get to wherever you go, and we just bust the shit yeah, down, yeah, you're yeah. never going to find it. Yeah, it was so much Damn. heroin, they was just like, burn the ship. They We we arrested everybody, mm. put them in cuffs, brought them to our ship, and then we set the ship on fire and watched it sink to the bottom of the ocean. Mm. Imagine all them drug addicts going crazy. I said, <laughs> Not bro. The whole ship. I, I said, bro, somebody getting murdered off of this shit. Yeah, somebody getting killed off of this shit. Off <laughs> pop, you know? We was on time. I was on the ship called the John C. Stennis, and that's named, it's named after the first Democratic senator of Tennessee, John C. Stennis, right? I think you explained that to me, that all of the ships are named after Yeah, politicians, politicians yeah. or, like, sometimes just famous people or whatnot. And so um, John C. Stennis, we're on this ship, and we get this SOS call, and it's like, help! And we're like, what's wrong? It's like, Help. we pirates, we pirates. And we're like, what? okay, thank you for telling us that. It's like, yeah, we out of gas. We just, <laughs> we stuck. It's like, we just stuck in the middle of the ocean. And you know, people don't realize this about like when you're in the middle of the sea, there's no trees. There's nothing, right? There's water. When, yeah, it's just water. So when it's nighttime, it's as dark as you can. It's so dark. You can't see your hand in front of your face. Are you serious? Yeah. The That's only light is shit. from like the moon when you out to sea. And during and when it's hot outside, it's getting reflected off the ocean. It'll be like 120, oh, so 130 degrees. It? Yeah, it, 130 degrees in the middle of the ocean. Really? Yeah, and you got on like your full battle rattle. You know, your camo all the way buttoned down to your wrist, wow. to button up to your neck. You wearing like 30 pounds of shit. You know, and you just like working all day, eight hours, 12 hours, 16 hours in in the middle of the ocean, sweating your ass off. And so the ship called. It said, "We out of gas." We don't have no more gas. Our engine don't work. And we're like, well, thank you for telling us. Y'all are criminals. Yeah. Thank you for telling us, We, you know, y'all pirates. And, you know, yeah, we, we pirates. And they said, what are you? We're smugglers. And we're like, okay. They're just volunteering information. You they know? didn't want to die. Yeah. We're like, well, thank you for telling us. It's like, what are you smugglers? It's like, people. It's like, we, we sell women into the sex trade. Are you fucking serious? Yeah. And we're like, holy shit. Well, do you have women on board your ship right now and they're like no we just we just out of gas and nobody will help us and so like we sent um two guys over mechanics you know to check on the engine and i have to go because i'm a cryptologist and these oh, wow. dudes they use satellite phones to communicate with one another and these, so you get to decode yeah that. these satellite phones are encrypted so you go on the ship and they're like fixing the ship and i'm like looking at all their radios and shit like that and they fixed the uh, the engine, and but we don't have the gas that they need. Like different motors require different types of gas, mm. and so we had to call another ship. They brought some gas down. Um, we sent a hel- helicopter over there to get the gas. The helicopter brings the gas back to our ship, the John C. Stennis, and they put that gas on a small little boat, and that boat goes over to the pirate ship, and we give them gas. You know, and they're so happy. They're mobile now. They got gas. They could get back to committing crimes. Well, you inter- you have to re- render international aid. You can't like you. It's it's a it's an international law. Are you fucking if serious? If a ship is in distress in the middle of the ocean and you ignore it, you can go to jail. Mm. Okay, hold on. So they could be out here committing all kind of. I can tell the cop crimes. right now. I sell crack. Can he arrest me, officer? I sell crack. 
I normally ship crack three or four keys of crack every day in this truck. But my tire, I don't have crack crack in my truck right now, but my tire flat. I need some help. So they have to help you. They got to help, right? The cop got to help. We got to help. You know what? That just helped me understand why that shit is so prominent. Like, why people could get away with human trafficking, sex trafficking. Like, I and like this probably going to sound real unfavorable because I'm just like, the whole drug shit, like, let's be real. Like, people doing legal drugs, how you going to police somebody doing illegal drugs? So that, to me, is just a whole different, it's a whole different lane. But when it comes to, like, these... Crimes that involve people and children, like that's where I'm just like, how the fuck y'all turning blind out of this? Yeah, this is legally they we don't have a a foot to stand on to arrest them, even though they volunteered all this information. You know, we can write down the sconum, which is like the VIN number for a ship, is the sconum. We can type write down there like the MZ, which is like the social security number for the radios that they use to like communicate with one another. We can catalog all this shit and put it in a database and like use it further down the line to like track them, see who they come in contact with. But like outside of that, we can't do shit else. What's crazy to me is I've never seen that shit in a movie. Yeah, they never put that shit in a movie. It's not they need sexy to put enough. that shit in a movie. If they could put Double Jeopardy in a movie. They need to put that shit in a movie. I would one hundred percent love to like make a, a TV show. Like that's about what I was about shit. to say. I'm like, all right, you have Chaplana, which is an amazing thing, and I just feel like you've lived how an elder will say, like you've lived so many different lives. Right. You get what I'm saying, and it's just like to, just me being on the outside looking in, like the capacity of which you can go and how far you could go, how far you can go creatively. Right. You get what I'm saying, like your art can go. You got you got what we would call the sauce. Yeah. Man. Like you've seen so much. That like you can quoi, write, that right, certain something. Like you can write books, you can write scripts, you can write movies. You get what I'm saying? Like you can do even beyond that. You get what I'm saying? Like mm. the way that you are able to one tell stories, the way that you are able to the way you navigate history and then the way that you're able to capture art in a sense and like take pictures and capture and tell stories through that aspect and that medium of things. Like you have what it takes to like expose the world to some shit that they we probably never knew we needed to be exposed to. Appreciate. Well, they wouldn't let us bring cameras. Right. So it was just like, how do you tell these stories? How you like, bro, I see so much amazing shit like on a weekly, monthly basis. I can't record it. And so I had a friend associate. I won't call him a friend. I had an associate mm. and he was getting kicked out of the military because he did coke while we was in a, <laughs> in a, a port one time. We had the ship had pulled in, you know, and everybody get off the boat and we go relax. People go get drunk. People get hotels and sleep in real beds. This dude got two hookers and did some coke oh, wow. and he popped positive, you know. <gasps> No. And so they kicked him out the military. And so he's trying to hedge his bets and he was just trying to sell shit. You know, like, hey, I got a PlayStation. You're trying to buy it? $200. That type of shit. So he said, I got this camera. You want to buy it? And I said, hell yeah, I'll buy this camera. It was like brand new. It was a Nikon D90 at the time. He, I was like, hell yeah. How much you want for it? He's like, I got, I only need 400 I said, Bruh, I said I got I got two hundred on me, you know. It's it been payday. I had some bills back in the states, you know. My car note, car insurance, rent, you know. He said, "All right, bet." So yeah, I bought like this Nikon D ninety for like two hundred dollars. And while I was over there, I took pictures of, like when we was like on import, like in on land. I would take pictures, but they was like trash. Yeah. I was just like, oh, I'm not feeling this camera. I bought it, but I ain't really feeling it, you know. My I take pictures pictures of my iPhone, you know that type of shit. 
And then um, I got out, came back to the States, and um, my camera just kind of sat like on a, on a shelf for like a couple years. Um, I was in a relationship, and I got a job at a... You sound so sad when you said yeah, that. Was, I was in a relationship. Yeah, it wasn't worth it for the <laughs> amount of time and effort you know, I put in. I was like, it wasn't like, worth it. I could have been just been out here fighting and bopping dis- and been happier, you know? <laughs> like, so... I was in a relationship and, you know, you learn some shit in a relationship. And I got a job at this um, steel mill up in White, Georgia. It's like past Cartersville. Mm. And I was like, I was working like 12 hours a day. That's the city I'd be trying to think of. I'm glad you said that. I need to text my brother. But I did some research on Cartersville. That's why. So I got this job up in White, Georgia. And I was working like 12 hours a day up there. And it paid like decent money. But I was like, this ain't it. I got to drive 45 minutes to work every morning. You know, like that means I got to wake up at like 3 o'clock. You know, if I want to get off at four, they just wanted us to put in 12. If I want to get off at, you know, four o'clock, I got to come to work at four o'clock, which means I got to wake up at like 3.15. You know, uh, before that, if I want to get to work at a decent time to leave on time. So I went home and I told my ex, I was like, yo, I'm about to quit this motherfucker, bro. I said, I'm about to go to school. You know, I got all these military benefits. I'm going to just go to school. And she's, you know, she's like, as long as the bills is paid, I don't (laughs) care. I said, okay, yeah, they'll pay me to go to school. You know, I won't be making the money that we was used to when I was active duty or when I was deployed. That was a, working at the steel mill was a a bump down from that. You Mm. know, I was making like six, seven grand a month, like from the military. That was a big lifestyle change. Yeah. And then now I'm working at this, you know, steel mill company. I'm making maybe a thousand dollars a week. You know, maybe, you know, and now I'm going to school. They just paying me $1,700 a month to go to school, you know, so I'm making seven grand and I'm going to 1700 a month, you know, and so I'm like, I'm still doing the reserve. So that's like another 400, you know, so she's just like, she wasn't feeling it. I was like, yeah, we got to go half on the rent. I was like, we gonna go half on the rent. We gotta start She's splitting. Like, I'm sorry, shit. it's over. Basically, you know, in so in so many steps, that's what it like. It boiled down to, you know, it wasn't like it wasn't random gifts no more. It this wasn't is cute, like okay, yeah. So, um, I started going to school and I picked up photography. I saw it was an elective. There's like, oh, you know, you gotta choose your foundations and you gotta choose two electives. Mm-hmm. And then like after you do all your foundation classes, you can declare a major. And so, um. I went to SCAD. I showed them like my portfolio or shit I took pictures of while I was deployed. And they was like, oh, yeah, you got a little talent. You know, yeah, come on. And so then I took one photography class and everybody was like, oh, these, these pictures are amazing. You know, oh, wow. you know, um, but at first they was like trash pictures. I was taking pictures of like fire hydrants and trees and homeless people <laughs> and shit like that. And then my professor was like, take pictures of what you know. And I was like, I know the hood. You know, I know the trap. She's like, take pictures of that. I was like, y'all sure y'all? see some shit like that you know she's like yeah she's like yeah just she's like just speak just tell your story tell your story and i said okay you know and i came back and she's like these pictures are so good Mm. she's like you should submit this for this um competition at the school for the photography majors or whatnot i said well i can't declare i am not a photography major because you know i'm still doing foundation class she's like just submit them and i said okay and i won the competition yeah i won the competition and Scat was using it like, look at our students. These are pictures they tell. You know, they're using my pictures and shit like that. And so um, I finished that first photography class. And I was like, yeah, I think I'm going to declare photography as my major. And the chair of photography at Scat was like, 
yeah, you want to take some more photography classes? I said, I still got foundations. He said, look, he said, you sign this paper. It's a foundation waiver. It says mm. that you don't have to take your foundation classes right now. We think you're so good. You can just start doing a job right into your major. And then we'll pepper your foundations throughout your semester, throughout your time here at SCAD. But you can come hop right into this shit, like, right now. And so that's what I did. That's what I've been doing. I took, like, senior classes, like, my sophomore year. And that's what I would just imagine, like, why would you need too many foundation classes considering, like... Yeah, this shit's stupid. What you were doing. Color theory, art history. Like, why you were in the military. Mm -hmm. You get what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. It's like, Robbie the code and shit. Like, what are you talking about? You want me to go? I hated art theory. I went to the Art Institute, and I was just like, oh. I like art history. I just wish I didn't have to take notes during it. If I could just sit there and like listen to my professor talk, you know, if it was like a TED talk or some shit like that, I would love art history. But like we write too many notes and those tests are so fucking brutal. Yeah, like art history was cool if I would have had a different uh, professor. Should I check my grade today? I got a 70 in art history. I was like, yeah. (laughs) That's that's, that's just barely getting by. Shit. C's get degrees. My nigga. Okay. So (laughs) you kind of answered my question because I was going to ask like how you like the foundation of Trap Land that came about Mm -hmm. as far as like being on the block, going to the strip club, um, being in the elements is what we like to call them. And like, like was it intentional or was it just already what you were doing? So it's just like, fuck it. Let me just go ahead and take my camera and capture it. Yeah, I think it it was intentional, but I also feel like it's like the beauty of it. It's like something when you from the hood and like you drive through a hood, it's something refreshing. It's almost like your battery get recharged, you know? It's like that time we went to um the shit on Edgewood and they started playing like the California like hyphy oh, music. Not yet. And he was like, oh, oh, oh. Like, he was like, Yeah, like he was like turning the I fuck just up. go home. Yeah, yeah, just like automatically I, I, was I get just, back home. Yeah. I was just sitting there in my arms, I was like, Look at this nigga. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But just like, yeah, go dumb, go dumb, yeah. Ooh, you know? So it, it's like that. You know what I'm saying? So it's just like, I'm already at the, I'm already on the block. I love the block. You know, the good and the bad of it. Mm. Why not take pictures of it? It's going to disappear. Yeah. It is. Nothing lasts forever. Eventually, this will be some white people shit again. Mm. You know? Not to, you know, talk shit or nothing. But like you said, it happens in cycles. Mm-hmm. It's gonna belong if it don't belong to the white folks, it'll belong to some Mexicans, you know. Yeah. So, you know, I might as well just document it now, and it, maybe it'll turn back into some black people shit again one day. But I got documentation of it. Do you ever feel bad at some of the things that you see, no. like some of the people that you see like get beat up? No, it would happen if I wasn't there. I mean, but even with you being there. You know what I'm saying? Like, is there a part of you that's just like, damn, like, this is fucked up? You know no. what I'm saying? No? It's life. People get their asses whooped. People, you know, like, it fucked up shit happen to folks all the time. Damn. It's unfortunate that yeah. it happened to them. But it was going to happen regardless, you know? Like, if you if you were a fatalist, you know, it was bound to be. You know, the universe was going to work its magic somehow, some way, and it was going to happen. It was destined to happen. You know, if it if it's destined to be, it will be. Damn. I mean, how I just feel like I'm sensitive too sometimes. Like, I'd be like, damn, that's fucked up, man. Why you got to be like that? I think that's something that my brother tries to get me to understand too. It's like, you be so, you internalize stuff. And I think it's because I'm so empathetic. Because I be thinking that too. Even when I see people strung out, I'm like, why you got to be like that? 
Like, why you make that choice? Mm. You get what I'm saying? Yeah, I get it. 100%. It wasn't my choice, though. That's you know? facts. That's It true. wasn't my choice. Yeah. So I look at it like, okay. You know what? Damn, you made some poor choices. Take this picture real quick. Yeah, you know, like, <laughs> I can help you out. You know, you need $10, $5, let me take a picture. You know, I ain't going to just, like, totally... Uh, you know, abuse the situation and just, yeah. you know, you need some money. I got some money. I also need a picture. You want to take a picture? I'll fuck off if you say no. You yeah. know, but I got this money right here. What up? What was the um place you went? It was called the something cathedral. Or is that just what you call oh, it? Oh, the yeah, Crackhead Cathedral? Yeah. I was like, <laughs> yeah, because I've been cathedral. in some bandos. Like, I've been in some bandos. But I was just like, I don't think I could have did that shit. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. So, me and my homeboy, we do this shit called Adventure Team Negro Force. That's and, not lit. Y'all need to make that a comic book. <laughs> so, like, we find abandoned shit in the city. And we just go explore it. Like, like I'll be driving, like, as I'm doing photography during the week or whatnot, I'll make a note, like, oh, that shit's burned out. Oh, that shit's abandoned. You know, and I'll, like, make a note, a pen on my phone. And then I'll, like, hit up my homeboy. And I'll be like, yo, this is all the shit I found this week. What you interested in? And he'll be like, let's check this shit out. And so then we, like, put all our, all our shit on. And then we just go check it out. And we did like an abandoned hotel one time over there by Spaghetti Junction. That shit was lit. Mm, how was that? Yeah, I was gonna say how was that? That shit was lit. Like it was like fourteen floors, and we was just like walking up the stairs. A nigga legs was burning, all that <laughs> shit. We got to the top floor, and we just like sat up there for like an hour, just like looking out at the city in the distance, talking about shit, throwing shit off the top floor, watching it hit the concrete at the bottom, that type of shit. And then we like walked back down. It was it was a whole vibe. What was the inside of that like? It was just like it was surreal. Like it was a hotel. Were the beds and shit still in there? No, nah, the beds weren't in there, but it was just like the shelves. Yeah, the shelves and like windows and stuff like that. The club it had a club inside of it called oh, the Euro wow. Club, and so that was like gutted out. And you could see like all the shit had been stacked on top of everything, like in a giant pile in the middle of the dance floor. Oh wow! And then there was like a conference center in the back, and so like we walked back there, and then it's like I feel like all the glass in the entire hotel was like put in one room mm. and then pulverized. Oh wow! Because we was like walking through like this one room, and it was like glass set like all the way up to like past your ankle i had on boots you know what i'm saying mm. like we both had on boots but we were like stepping and our feet were sinking into in like glass. into the glass it was so much glass mm. yeah, yeah i was like i was like this shit is wild and then my homeboy he fixed houses and shit he was like oh man look at the size of this boiler yeah sounds like do they ever find like yeah he's like guys find stuff? he's like this boiler is amazing he's like look at this but i'm like nigga it's a boiler Put it on the back of your truck. <laughs> he's like, man, he's like, he's got, he's got, this got to be like a thousand, thousand gallon boiler right here. This could like make enough water, hot water for like a whole neighborhood. I'm like, okay, like let's go to the next room, you know? Like, it's like, oh man, look at this fuse room. Look at all these fuse boxes. I'm like, my nigga, like we in a band hotel. Look at the graffiti. You know, like look at, like imagine the people just like in here chilling. You know, like imagine. Have you tried that shit. to get into the old Pascal's building? Yeah, we've tried to get into a couple places. We tried to go to P. Diddy's old house. And um, thankfully, we called the people who own the property. Mm -hmm. Because I just wanted to be like, I didn't want to like hop. Because it's in like Sandy Springs. Oh, wait, it's abandoned? Yeah, P. Diddy's old house is abandoned. It's been abandoned for like six years. 
So like we went, we wanted to go. Um, a cop that I know, he told me about it. He said, yeah, he said P Diddy has been abandoned. Just abandoned. Yeah, he said he ain't been there. He stopped paying on it, all types of shit. So I said, wow. no shit. He said, yeah, you should check it out. I said, oh, you got, you know, a name or some shit. He said, yeah. He said, I'll call my homeboy. He, you know, he works for Sandy Springs PD. He'll find a number. So the guy, sure as shit, came through, found the. The guy he know at Sandy Springs found the dude who owned the property and gave me that dude's personal phone number. So I called that dude. I said, hey, look, I run an Instagram page called Traplanta. We do this shit called Adventure Team Negro Force. We want to come check out this house. What's up? And he, he said, absolutely not. What? He said, absolutely not. I said, okay. He said, yeah. He's like, the last time somebody came over here, they did $100,000 worth of damage to the house. <gasps> He said, we are not letting anybody come to this house. He said, we are pressing charges on anybody who steps foot on the property. He said, it's a good thing you called. He's like, because you would be in jail Mm -hmm. if you stepped on the property. He said, we got like trail cameras, motion sensors, all types of shit on the property So how is it even abandoned then if he owns the property? Like, why aren't you doing nothing with it? Mm -hmm. That's not my story to tell, but I know it's been sitting there for a while. And so, um, I was like, thank you for letting me know that. So, you want to lock people up for going to see it, but you ain't doing shit with it. Mm-hmm. The fuck that look like? So, um, we got a couple different places. We went to um, uh, abandoned train yard two weeks ago, maybe three weeks ago. But it was, like, so fucking cold that we, yeah. was just, like, we wasn't about that shit. We was just like, nigga, let's go. Yeah, we went to the one. That was back in the day. I don't even know if it's still like that. The Pullman Yard. That's what it's called. Pullman yeah. Yard. That's where we went. So the other side of that, man, we just just try and keep new content on Traplanta flowing. I'm always in a strip club. I'm always at a regular club. I'm trying to make more of an effort to actually get back to neighborhoods now. Because mm. I personally feel like, I like the aesthetic of the club pictures. I like how colorful they are and shit. Mm-hmm. But that's only one part of it. This nigga's out here doing it. You know, making yeah. real money. Grinding, trapping every day. <laughs> real street shit. I would have been lit if he was actively doing it. Like, while BMF, I was talking about BMF with somebody recently. Like, mm-hmm. while they were out doing their thing. Yeah, that would have been the way. I think about yeah. this shit all the time. Like, man, I, I got out of the military too late. You know? Like <laughs> I, I started this shit too late. Like, when it, deep in the throes of trapping. When Gucci was still fat. Right, When exactly. niggas was still wearing snowman shirts. Like, if I had started then. Going to pool palace. Yeah, I'd be famous, 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 famous. Yeah. You know? It is but what yeah, it is. that's pretty exciting. Glad I got to talk to you today and learn a lot about what you got going on. Can you tell us a little bit about where your work is shown right now? Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Some of your plans. So right now, my work is being shown at a place called Spalding Nicks Art Gallery over in Buckhead. Um, shout out to Spalding Nicks. It'll be there till March. Um, working on a book with Schoolhouse Publishing called The Trappening. Um, that'll probably be out like next year though. We're still working out like some, some details. Um, what else we got going on? Um, hopefully I'll be at, um, photo week London. If not this year, maybe next year, but I'm shooting for this year. Um, if I get like this, uh, this gig up in DC, then I'm going to DC first. Cause that's money making, mm-hmm. you know, photo London is money spending. So, <laughs> um, you know, and then I got peoples that I fuck with heavy in London. So mm-hmm. when I was stationed out there for two years, so I just like to have enough money to do the whole gamut of ratchet, you know, fuck 
fuck shit, mm-hmm. you know, while I'm out there. So, you know, you need money, you know, to be able to do all that dabbling and dibbling and whatnot. So uh, if I have to take a page back, take a step back for a year to make some real money to go out there and do it how I want to do it, then, you know. I think that would be really nice to see, like to see you be in like Brazil and capturing like the trap experience in Brazil or I would just say the hood experience because I feel like trapping is universal, but that is very much an Atlanta term, you yeah. know what I'm saying? But like seeing that shit in Brazil, like going to Rio, like nigga, show, show us what that shit look like in Cuba. Yeah. Show us what that shit look like in different parts of Mexico. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Show us what it look like. Where is it? Brixton in, in, <laughs> in the UK? Show, show us the hoods in London. You know what I'm saying? Like let us see like universally what that looks like. I feel like that ideally... Trapland, it should be the person to do that. You don't see too many other people like doing it on a universal scale. Yeah, I read this thing. I made a fact about it yesterday, actually. You know, it says like if you took like all the pieces of work in every U.S. museum and put it in one place, only 1.2% of it would be made by African Americans. Mm-hmm. You know, and like I was like, damn, like I got a chance. Mm-hmm. You know, like I got a real shot at this, like getting into a museum, you know, like. Only one people look at that and be like, damn, 1.2, that's not a lot, a lot of black representation. Mm-hmm. But then I look at it, I'm like, nigga, that's like, what, 98.8? I got, like, bro, I got, I can get on the ground floor. Mm-hmm. I can get in one museum, they're going to be like, oh, yeah, this, this black dude, he's at this museum. Let's get some mm-hmm. of his stuff. He must be somebody. So I'm just kind of plugging away at the moment. I feel like you're doing that, though. Like, how many people can say that they had, like, you were going to Buckhead and you're seeing aspects of Atlanta that you never would have thought you would see shown in a gallery in Buckhead? Right. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to what you would call the suburb or the more affluent part of town, and I'm seeing TNA and niggas on the block. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. Where all you got to do is drive 20 minutes and you'd be right in the just of it. Yeah. But because this isn't your experience, I get to show you a completely different dynamic of life that you've never been exposed to and you are going to see this in the gallery. So just keep, I just feel like, keep keep aiming for that. You're going to be in a museum before you know it. Yeah, you know, I like to, my pictures, I like to frame them in like those fancy, like opulent gold frames mm-hmm. that you see at like the museum and shit just because I like, I like that act, it's called Baroque. Your manifesto. Yeah, I like that, that Baroque aesthetic, you know, like kind of like French whorehouse kind of vibe, you know, mm-hmm. just like, opulent and gold and then in the middle of it it's like a picture of a stripper or it's the picture of like a a 84 box chevy in it you know Mm. it just like it kind of brings that agency of it even more it makes it more artistic like that frame does it's like you know where it was just a box chevy now it's a box chevy right yes do you ever consider doing customs like if somebody be like, hey, man, can you give me a nice little piece of an 83 Monte Carlo? Yeah, I mean, I got, I mean, it's like, I got an iPad. That shit's got like 12,000 pictures on it. Mm. You know, I take maybe like six or 700 pictures a week. I edit that down to maybe like between 30 and 100 pictures after I edit them down. So mm-hmm. the ones I'm like, this is a good image. I fuck with this image heavy. Mm-hmm. It's eventually going to go on Traplanta. So. This is like the third year. Oh, of so you don't even post everything you have. Hell no, I'd have like <laughs> I'd have so many more posts. So the things that we see on Traplanta, three on a day, social media, we won't necessarily see in the book. Right. Ne- yes. And then the things you see in the book, we won't necessarily see at the gallery. Right. And the things you see at the gallery, we won't necessarily see at the museum. Yeah, I got more than enough work to make sure that. 
there's no like cross, you know, pollination, but there probably will be because that's just like the amount of effort to put forth to make like new work and like new facts and all that shit. It's just like it's Herculean with like the like the amount of effort that I'm putting forth, like taking pictures every day. I mean, my camera's in my truck right now, you know, in case I see some shit out in town, I'm just like ready to shoot. You know, I was almost excited. Like I told you, it was traffic on the way. I thought it was going to be like a car on fire or some mm. shit. It was just like bad traffic because niggas yeah. can't drive. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, you know, let me get off on the exit. Since you on the west side, you probably going to see some. Probably. So I always keep my camera on me. You know, you never know what you're going to see. Roland Barthes calls it the decisive moment. Mm. Like, it's just like that moment where you like, you take the picture and you're like, that was it. Do you ever have any moments where you're missing? You're just like, fuck. All the time. Yeah. All the time. But then um, I did, um, what is the name of that class? Visual aesthetic mm-hmm. of fine art. I did that. That sounds like some yeah. shit that's up my alley. It was a, yeah, it was a, it was a dope class. But we talked about that Roland Barthes book, Camera Lucida, um, mm. and the decisive moment. Um, and he was just like, there might be a moment, but it might not have been your moment. Mm. You know? So you can't look at every picture mm, and be like, well, I, I could have took a picture like that. I could have took a better picture. That wasn't your picture. That wasn't, take. yeah, that wasn't. You know, your that moment. wasn't your image to capture. You know, you have to be patient. You have to sit there. It's like a. Uh, there's t- we um I'm in this contemporary landscape class right now, and we were talking about what type of photographer are you? Photography is like hunting. Do you go out and do you just shoot, 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 or do you go out with intentionality and do you just like hunt? Like you know what you're gonna, what you want to shoot, mm. and you like set your camera up on a tripod and you just sit there and you just wait. <laughs> and you just wait, and you just wait, and then like you see it coming into like a frame. time lapse. <laughs> yeah, you just, you just it's just coming in the frame, whatever it is that you want to take a picture of, and you put your finger on the button. And as soon as it enters, like your frame is, or you like me, I just I might take like six or seven pictures of a dancer, you know, while yeah. she on the pole. I might take like seven to ten. Mm. And then, like, I go home in the in the morning, and you know, and, and I sleep, and I wake up, and I look at the pictures, and I'm like, all oh, ten of these is trash. Really? Or I might be like, oh, this is the only one that's good, or seven of these might be good. Mm. You know, it it really does depend on the image and how I feel about it. Um, and then I edit it, and then I delete all the ones I don't like. Mm. And that's that's the way it goes. What are some of your other art forms? Oh, I draw. Um, I do sculpture, too, but not so much of it, just because that shit is expensive. You know, my favorite piece is the gun. Yeah. Inside of the block. Yeah, everybody my likes the gun. My ratchet ass. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, my AK's on my thighs, but, like, yeah, everybody likes my favorite the gun. shit. <laughs> yeah, everybody likes the gun. I actually, I want to do another one with a Draco. So I'm, Ooh, like, saving up nice. money to buy a Draco right now just so that I can, like destroy it it's so weird like i'm like trying to find like a cheap draco everybody wants like 700 i'm like nigga i'm about to destroy this shit like i'm not going to use it to shoot nobody or protect myself give me a dirty one yeah. that you're trying to get rid of that's what i be telling you right? i was like you ain't killed nobody help me <laughs> no. out help, help me help you you know what i'm saying <laughs> help me help you my nigga like give me the dirty gun um i'm making a lamp right now um i went on alibaba and bought like $40 worth of doll heads, like little bitty 
like doll heads. It's a little creepy. Yeah, and I'm about okay. to like drill a hole in the back of them. Okay, a little scary. And put mm-hmm. an LED in the back of it, and then I'm going to super glue it to a podium. And so it'll be like all these glowing doll heads on the podium. You should do a like as an ode to strippers with the bodies, like little Barbie bodies and shit. I should. That'd be lit. So, you know, just different when things. When I do numbers, just invite me to the. I got you. Yeah. Trying to branch out, you know, be a little bit more artistic. I used to have this idea of like, there's like Sally Mann, who like is a chick. She comes from like money. Mm-hmm. You know, when you have like money, mm-hmm. your outlook on life and things are different. So when mm-hmm. you have money and you make art, I feel like your art is a little bit more ethereal. It's about like happiness. I just read and that. Joy and shit They're like, like that. they just wish that and like people who come from money would just leave art alone. Yeah. But if you like broke and you make art, it's what I like to call functional art. Mm-hmm. It's like a new like a nigga like I can't like if I made this, could I sell it? And if I couldn't sell it, do I like it enough to keep it in my house? Mm-hmm. And that's how I look at everything that I make. Uh, do I like it enough to have this shit hanging on my walls, have it sitting on a counter somewhere? Because I'm going to look at it for a while if I can't sell this motherfucker. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So, like, first off, is it good enough to sell? That's what I was going to ask. Do you have your favorite pieces that you just like, I'm not letting this shit go? Oh, everything for sale. I'm very really? passionate. I'm very passionate about not starving to death. And I own all the originals. So if I like it that much, oh. I could just make another one. Duh. You know, it might not have been that one. The gun piece. Now that shit, that shit took effort. That shit took time. So I was a little bit apprehensive about selling that. I low-key just wanted to keep it. But I feel I like that one you sell. should. I felt like that could sell. And it's sitting in the gallery now. And it hasn't sold. So I'm low-key about to pull that shit back just so I can like have it at my house. Because I fuck with it so much. Do you think about like maybe having pieces that you know every time you do a show? Yeah, I feel like I'm just gonna build a catalog. I need a house. That's like mm-hmm. my goal. I need a house, not even like on some like trying to compete with other millennial shit. Mm-hmm. I just need a place where I can store my shit and not have to worry about it. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? I need like a four bedroom house, five bedroom house, or something with a basement, or mm-hmm. something with a shed, like a big ass shed that I can convert. You know, into like a livable space. You know how lit that would be. And then, like, I can just like make shit, keep it out there. Wine and cheeses and shit. Yeah, Come and then we're like, doing an art show and got the crib. Yeah, what? And do it like that, or I could way. just like go into the shed and grab a whole bunch of shit, stick it on my truck, and take it to the art show. You know, and just keep it. You know, like for ease of use or whatnot. But as is right now, every time I make, every time I do an art show, like I'm making new shit. Yeah. You know, and it's kind of like a financial burden at this point. That's kind of how the roots were. Yeah. They used to have like their um, jam sessions at the house, mm-hmm. and that's how everybody started getting put on. Jill Scott, Music Soul Child, like a little bit of everybody used to go there. Yeah, Atlanta's you know weird like that though. It's like everybody trying like niggas want to network, but mm-hmm. nobody wants to like link. You know, it's just like, hey, bruh. Yeah, I see you doing your thing. Follow me on the gram. Yeah, you know, oh, let's collab. How can your collab? help me and how can my collab help you you know what i'm saying like a nigga i'm not trying i had like one collab and i was like yo this is all right it was a nigga who made patches you know i think you know what he made this on the back of this jacket for me yeah i like that jacket yeah and i was like yo i was like i see you make patches you know what i'm saying like he said yeah i said look um i know you probably hear this shit all the time but 
I'm not, I would like to collab, but I will pay you mm-hmm. whatever you ask to make a patch for me. Mm-hmm. And he was like, he's like, um, I make my own shit. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> I don't need no help. I don't need no designs. I'm like, okay, cool. Whatever. I still like your shit, so I'm going to follow you. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? And then he hit me back a week later. He's like, yo, you have some dope-ass images. I said, yeah, I know. I'm cool, nigga. I was like, I know my shit. I, was like, I know my shit. Fine. You know, like, I know my shit straight. I'll hit you up because I saw your shit straight. You know, I right. feel like this will be beneficial. I got some fire shit. I make fire shit. You can, with your hands, make some fire shit. Mm-hmm. I can design some shit, and you can create it. And we can both benefit from it. And he said, yeah. He said, yeah, I'm down for that. Mm-hmm. I said, okay, cool. And I sent him some shit I had drawn. And he said, give me a week. And I said, okay. I had forgot about this shit, honestly. And he hit me back. He had like sketches. He said, yeah, here go one thing. I said, oh, this shit look dope. Mm-hmm. He said, yeah, I really like that shit with the Jesus. So I just went ahead and made it. Oh, and I said, lit. oh, that's what's up. I said, how much I owe you? He said, nah, bro. He said, you just keep it. He said, oh, he said, that's yours. And I said, bro, I was like, you need anything drawn? You need any some shit? You know, you let me know. He said, I appreciate it. I put that nigga on to everybody. That's like if some up. If somebody's like, yo, um, I, that jacket, if I said, yo, here go the nigga Instagram. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Oh, you trying to make some shit? Yo, here go that nigga Instagram. You know, every time somebody even says, mentions some shit about this jacket, I'm like, <laughs> this nigga made it. He'll come up. I take pictures with the jacket. I tag him every time. Mm-hmm. Every time I tag him in it. Yeah, he Shout out to Motorcycles and Mason Jars. That's lit. Shout out I to like him. that name. Yeah, I like that right. name a lot. Yeah. I like that a lot. Yeah, man. I be thinking about that. Cause every time I see it work and I be going to like the uh, City of Ink shows or I go to like the different art shows, I'm just like, damn. I wish I had the ability to like connect people in mm. that way, but then I also see like how clickish Atlanta is. Yes, I'm just like why the fuck are y'all like this, bro? Like everybody could eat, everybody but then I eat. think what happens is people don't want to see other people eating more than them. They don't, and it's, it's a, just they like, think damn. it's a zero sum game for one person to win, another nigga gotta lose. You know what I'm saying? Right. But like we could both win. You know we could both win, bro. I put every nigga on. Like if they make art. And I fuck with them. I'd be like, yo, I know this dude. He do this. You know what I'm saying? Like, fuck with him. Like, if I somebody asked me for a photo shoot, and I tell them my price, and they'd be like, oh, that's a little bit too expensive. I said, I know a nigga. You might be able to talk to him. You know what I'm saying? I, you could talk to him. He might be able to come off it a little bit more, but my price is juggernaut. That shit, you know, that it's going to be. It's going to be what it's going to be. It's not going to move, you know? Mm. Um and they were like, all right. And I text the dude. I said, hey, look, I'm about to send somebody away. You charge them whatever you feel like you want to charge them. Mm-hmm. I told them this. They said it was too high. Now, you can undercut me. I don't feel bad about it because I gave it to you. Just FYI. You know, and they, well, I appreciate you, bro. And that's it. I'll leave it at that. That's how I try to do with people. Like, if I can't collab with you and get you a bag, I'm going to try to plug you into somebody that can. And it's a long list of people that are going to help get a bag. And I'm like, bro. Don't act like I help you get that bag, nigga. Right. But you know, it's, it's cool, though. But, yeah, man, thanks for talking to me. No problem. This was exciting. I had a good time. Yeah? Good. Yeah. Good. I'm glad. I like hearing stories. You tell amazing stories. Thanks. Oh, yeah, follow me on Instagram, underscore Traplanta, underscore, that's T-R-A-P-L-A-N-T-A, Traplanta, T-R-A-P-L-A-N-T-A, underscore on both sides.
And tell them again the gallery that your art is showing. Spalding Knicks. Awesome. Awesome, y'all. Thanks for tapping in, tuning in. Until next time, Cool Kid Nikki signing out. Thanks, Ben. You be back there all quiet. Now you get the, the, 